0: got shake to the ground. Just give me up. What I know is mine. People, do you hear me? Just uh, give me the sign. Ain't much I'm asking. If you want the truth, here's to the future. I'm living it all And I'm giving it it all I want it all
1: Some of you are like, what just happened? (laughs) Some of you are like, so you're leaning over because you're not even certain. It's like an out-of-body experience. You're like, I'm in church, right? And that was queen, right? And I liked it, but am I allowed to like that? See, some of you are like, I get it, I get it. It's fair. In fact, don't deny it. That at first glance, at first here, you're like, I believe that's queen. I believe that's not a hymn. I believe that that is, I'm not hearing like a lot of spiritual words. And if you're wondering, like why in the what in what's the connection? Here's the connection. We as a church have looked at the theme of lyrics in everyday music what you listen to, what I listen to, and yeah, yeah, we nerded it out, and we took the themes of lyrics. You can summarize it. Actually, there's seven. There's seven different themes to lyrics, and so we thought Queen, well, they, uh, they wrote a song that really nailed one of the themes. Let me, let me show you, in case you're like, I didn't, I didn't understand the words. Uh, here's the words, or some of them. Just give me what I know is mine. Okay? People, do you hear me? Just give me the sign. It ain't much I'm asking. If you want the truth, here's the future for the dreams of youth. I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. If you're like, yeah, I still, I, I, don't, I don't know the theme that Queen wrote about. Uh, uh, it's called greed. <laughs> and I find it, I think you ought to find it a bit fascinating that if you studied the lyrics of all music, I, mean, I don't know what genre you really love and like, but if you study the themes, there's multiple ones. We've already talked about several, but one of the seven, I mean, think about that. One of the seven is about greed, and uh, I'm pretty sure that Queen wrote directly about it, but there's more important stuff at stake here, okay? It's not just for fun. It's not just because some of us really like Queen. It's... <laughs> You see, I would tell you that God has things to teach us. I don't know if you're a person that believes that when you wake up with the day, and no matter what you've got planned for the day, you ought to believe or know something, it's this. God wants to teach you something. God's got something in store to to land on your soul and to stick. And I think it's cool that God has been talking about things for a long time, and our lyrics that we're writing are matching up with his topics. In fact, I'll show you some of the weight that is involved in this conversation when it actually is specifically about greed and God. It's in Ephesians. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person, I mean, I, you don't need me to articulate, well, what's this in the original language? It's that. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. If you're like, so what's that saying? It's saying this, and you may not like it. If you are a greedy person, you do not inherit the eternal destiny God wants you to inherit. That's the weight behind this conversation. You're like, I thought it was like, yeah, we don't like greed, it's kind of nasty. It's more than nasty. There's consequences to it. That's why you and I should talk about it, not be offended by it. For a greedy person is an idolater. And if you're like, what? That means worshiping the things of this world. Greed. My guess is you know someone who's greedy. My guess is if I asked you if you're greedy, you wouldn't raise your hand. None of us do. None of us really go, you know what, I'm really greedy, and that's just the way I like my life. I've got lots of friends. No, you don't. Most greedy people don't actually confess it and admit it because we have some clarity on what is greed, what is generosity and all that. And you need to know this conversation about greed must be had. In fact, Jesus himself, Jesus Jesus spoke about greed, spoke about money and possessions more than you and I are comfortable with. You see, sometimes you might think, you know, man, David, you preach about money a lot. Actually, not near as much as Jesus did. If you were to study just the life of Jesus and look at his sermons, one, you'd be like, oh, lay off, Jesus. Do you know that, that the majority of Jesus' sermons... We're about money and possessions. You know, Jesus talked more about money and possessions than faith, than prayer. I mean, that should mess with us. You're like, why would he do that? Because he knows that you and I can get ourselves in a mess if we live as greedy people. So here's just one thing that Jesus said. I mean, this is one of the many. Watch out. Be on your guard Against all kinds of greed. Be on guard. If you're not, like, here's what he's saying you should have a system, a security system against greed. In fact, if you and I sat down, let's just say over coffee, because that's how we should do it, we sit down over coffee, and if I were to ask you, hey, what's your security system that keeps you from being a greedy person? Most would be like, I didn't know I was supposed to have one. According to Jesus, you and I are supposed to be actively on guard. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Well, most of us would agree to that. We would say, you're right. You know, An abundance of possessions doesn't make me happy. There's a few things I might like, but, but there's a few, like an abundance of them. Most of us would agree, yeah, I, I've seen the movies. I know the story time that we're not supposed to crave everything. But many of us have an attitude. And if you and I don't deal with our attitude toward money and possessions and resources, you and I will find ourselves, not admittedly, but we'll find ourselves greedy people. And I have yet, okay, maybe maybe my day will change, but I have yet to meet someone who wants to be greedy and who wants to be around a greedy person. And if greed is gonna cost you and I eternity with God, you better believe we're going to talk about it. So attitudes about, uh, about this. Some might be indifferent. Maybe you're like, actually, David, I'm pretty good when it comes to possessions. I don't care. I haven't bought a new shirt in a decade. You might be like, you, know, you might feel like, you know what, I don't, I don't do that. I don't, I don't spend money frivolously. In fact, I don't even care about money, David. I don't even care about it. Well, I'd say that's a problem. Because Jesus was not indifferent about money. Catch that. He was not indifferent about money. Jesus never said, I don't care about it. In fact, um, Jesus addressed it a lot. Some of the stories we have about anger, like, am I allowed to be angry? Jesus himself was angry. And a lot of times it was wrapped around someone mismanaging money. So indifference towards money is not the right attitude. Now, someone was us like oh, I'll tell you my attitude. It's called I don't have enough, and our attitude is kind of bad about it because we're like, well, I would do more. I would I would not be greedy. I would I would be, I would change this world if I had a little bit more. And many of us are like I don't have an, I don't have it. I know. And, and, and I've. I, do you know that God doesn't want you living in in a lifestyle where you don't have food and shelter? And your basic needs, God does not sit in heaven going, man, I'm glad that you have nothing. It's not God. That's not his heart. He doesn't want you going constantly living in this desperate setting of you don't have enough to eat. He doesn't like that. It's not, not what he's about. Well, I'll simply tell you our attitude toward money can become a problem. I don't know what your current attitude toward money is. I have no idea. I can tell you from my own personal experience, I've pretty much had about, I think, all the attitudes towards money. Whatever they are, I've got them all. And there's been times I've been indifferent, didn't care, was flippant with it. There's been other times I felt like I don't have enough, I don't have enough, I don't have enough, and just crying out to God that way. But I don't think that's the worst of the attitudes. I don't think I've told you the worst yet. I'll tell you what I believe the worst attitude towards money is. It is this. What I have is mine. If that is your current attitude toward resources, money, bank accounts, stuff like that, I would tell you that is in direct opposition to God's perspective. And that's the danger in it. Like, have you ever considered the idea that you and I might hold an opinion that is in direct opposition to God? And if this is your opinion, if you look at your account and what you've got and what you're driving, what you're living in, and you're like, that's mine. Well, let let me show you God's perspective about that. It's in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. That's his perspective. I mean, and you can argue with him as much as you would like. But his perspective, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. You see how you and I often function out of an attitude toward money that maybe it's indifferent, maybe I don't have enough, but I think most of us wrestle with, when we look at what we've got, like, that's mine. And in fact, those, those lyrics that Queen put together, I'll just bring them back to you, just to refresh your mind. And I even bolded just a part of it. Just give me what I know is mine. If you're there, if you and I have had these attitudes and we're living that way about what we've got, we're in danger, whether you like it or not, of being greedy. And I'll be the one that fesses up, okay? I will fess up. I will confess it in front of you that I have many days that I behave that way. And in fact, to give you full disclosure, I am one of those people that really likes things can't stand it, but I love it at the same time. My mom has always told me, David, you have a champagne taste on a beer budget. And I was like, Mom, we don't drink. Like, what are you talking about? But she talked, that's always been my taste. If I walk into a store, I'm like, "Mm, I want that. Whatever that is, is the most expensive thing there. I've grown up around this. In fact, I've always craved and wanted more or something different. And so I've wrestled with this. That's why I'm telling you, this is actually a very personal sermon. Because I don't want to be a greedy person. If you ask, if I, like, what's, what's one of the worst things that I could ever be, would be a greedy person? That's, that's my perspective about me. I don't want to be greedy because I see so many people in need. And so I, as a parent, I'm thinking, okay, if. If I struggle with this, my kids are probably going to struggle with it. And I think it's really difficult to make change in life when you're an adult because we're stubborn. But if you can teach a kid some of the basic principles of life, they can behave those out and do some great things. So I've shared this multiple times. I have a specific lesson that I teach my kids. And they hate it. And I love it. So we go to the movie theater and, and we're like, all right, kids, and this is each of our kids, three kids, each each of them, all right, you can go get a, a box of candy, whatever you want, you, you just pick it. Now, I have, a, I have an agenda behind this the whole time, so I'm like, you better pick wisely. But anyways, they go pick their candy, we, we go sit in the movie theater, and as we begin to go through the previews, well, Dad wants some of their candy, so I start to ask for the candy. And uh, our oldest did this, Hayden did this, Ellie did this, and by the time I got to Titus, I was like, you know what, I bet I could video this. So for your enjoyment, <laughs> if you haven't ever seen this, you'll get caught up now, I videoed my whole interaction with Titus in the movie theater. Take a look. Can I have this color gummy? No. It
0: allows you to prevent new purchases I on your account in seconds mm-hmm. if your card is misplaced.
1: Hey, do you want to share your, you to share your
0: gummy? No. Hmm? No. No? Nice All takes is so, your signature. you gonna share? And and yeah, right my god. No. Here. No, no. No? No. No, right be happy. no. Why not? My. No, Why my just mine. No, That's mine. should No! Okay, sorry. Stop!
1: Yeah. Just so you know, I've always taught that lesson at an out-of-town theater, just in case. Some of you have seen that before, but I think it helps us. Because, I mean, that's, that's my son Titus, but I can tell you Ellie had the same reaction. Hayden did, and frankly, I've had the same reaction. When I had something that I really enjoyed, but I forgot some of the basic principles in life. See, see, as I'm talking to Titus there in the movie theater, I know he's forgetting a lot of things. One is uh, I'm, the, <laughs> I'm the one that gave him the stinking candy, uh, which, okay, he forgot that. That's fine. Another one is uh, I could have left the movie that was going to be horrible anyways and go out and get my own candy. I mean, that's how that works, okay? I mean, I can go and pay too much for whatever candy it is and have my own. And frankly, another one is I'm six foot two and I can handle a three-year-old or a four-year-old. I can grab that from his hands and I'm winning and I'm going to be okay with it, right? But, but what he was too young then and what I've tried to teach my kids is that sacrifice creates and builds some trust between us. If you just thought just for a second about the relationships that you have, if you try to have a friendship, a relationship, a good, healthy relationship with, with no level of sacrifice, in other words, if you're like, you know what, I want to have a good friendship with them, but I'm not going to give them anything, I'm, I'm going to have my way all the time, I'm not going to sacrifice anything, good luck on that relationship. And the same goes with God. If you want a relationship with God, did you know, did you know that you need to sacrifice for Him? Let me, let me apply this. Some of you have seen this before, but it helps us with the conversation of greed. God provides everything we have. not mine, it's his. And he provided it. Uh, he doesn't need what we have. Uh, God's never looked at your car and been like, mm, I wish I had that. He doesn't look at anything you have and say, I wish I had that. He can actually have whatever he wants. He has things that have not been invented yet. You ever think like of that? Uh, God can take all that we have. We've talked about that already in this series, that God gives and he takes away. And if God wants to take everything that you and I have, he has a right to do so Because it's his. But again, there we are at the sacrifice. Sacrifice builds trust. Have you ever wanted to trust God? Not pretend. I'm not saying, well, yeah, hopefully one day I'll get there. Some of us do that. We think, I want to trust God. I want to trust God with with my family or my kids. I want to trust God if I get a bad diagnosis or money. Have you ever wanted to trust God? Most of us want to trust God, but we aren't willing to sacrifice to build that trust. So that word sacrifice is a big deal, if you didn't know it. It's a huge deal in all relationships. But specifically with greed, I would tell you sacrifice defeats greed. If you don't want to be a greedy person, which I am going to infer that you do not want to be, you don't want to have other people talking about you, saying you're greedy. You don't want that to be an actual characteristic of yours. You don't want to be greedy. If you don't want to be greedy, you've got to figure out how to sacrifice. If you flip that statement, greed defeats sacrifice. If you don't regularly sacrifice to God, you're greedy in your relationship with him. If you don't regularly sacrifice to your regular relationships here on planet Earth, you're greedy with them. But here's why. Let's take this a little bit further. I think this helps. Sacrifice changes our attitude about what we have. It's not just like God came up with something cool. Like how a sacrifice. No, it changes our attitude about what we have, what we're caring for, what's in our responsibility. If if you and I want to defeat greed, actually, if we want to defeat the attitudes we have of, this is mine, or I don't have enough, or I don't care, if you want to defeat that, you've got to learn how to sacrifice. And I think the only way to learn to sacrifice is the sacrifice. But I want to help us. I want to help us get there. There's a story. There's a story that needs a little bit of detail before I share it with you. The story will involve a guy named Elijah. Elijah uh, was a prophet, If you're unfamiliar with with what that is, because that can spook some people out, he was a prophet. In other words, God would communicate to the masses through a prophet. God would tell the prophet certain things and say, I want you to share that with people. Sometimes it was bad news. Sometimes it was good news. Sometimes it was about the future. Sometimes it was about the present. Some about the past. But he would use the prophet. Elijah was a prophet. A well-known, well-respected prophet, a man of God. He found himself nearly starving. The situation was this. There was a famine going on. Uh, there was nothing. He found himself nearby a body of water, a small little body of water, had no food, cries out to God, God, I need food. There's no food. And, and God literally sends ravens. This is in the Bible. Sends ravens and feeds him in the morning and in the evening. I mean, if, if you don't need a wow story, that's amazing. Well, eventually, the water dries up. Which creates a problem. We all know that, and he cries out to God, He's like okay, uh, the the bird thing has been awesome, uh, but I don't have water and I'm gonna die." That's where we pick up our story, First Kings chapter seventeen. Then the Lord said to Elijah, "Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you." So he we went to Zarephath and. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. He's like, awesome. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? That's not a major request. That's not like, well, that was normal, actually, because he was a prophet. He would have been recognized, and he would have been like, yeah, yeah, okay, well, we'll bring you some water. As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread, too. Ever do that? You're like, hey yeah, I'll have a I'll have that drink and oh, can you make me a sandwich too? Some of you are like, How did he know? Yeah, that, that's sometimes you like, you're thinking about I got some water. I don't think it was water, so I'm hungry. Now you may not know this story and know what just happened. If you are regularly offended or just call it uncomfortable, when a pastor or anyone talks about money. Oh, please lean into this story because we are about to get crazy offensive. What? But she said, okay, she's like, water? No problem. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. Now, it's important for me to draw your attention to this she's not lying I know in our society a lot of us kind of fib a little bit and it's not like no she actually has a pantry full of like pop tarts and lots of no she's not lying in that culture did you know there was a day that people meant what they said and it was like locked in so you just need to know she's not lying I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. You're asking for some bread. And I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug and here's where we get like crazy. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. I mean, that's where most of us like, whoo. Nix the bread request. Right? This is where you're like, oh, 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 I I didn't know. See, I think many of us, we connect with the widow. And see, if you haven't done this already, you need to know that a lot of times when you and I read the Bible, and we'll read it and we're like, David, that's confusing. I don't understand it. I don't know that person. I don't understand the situation. The name of the city, I can't even pronounce. And we look at it and we're like, I don't know. Well, I would tell you this particular story, you should wonder, why is this in the Bible? What's the big deal? Why in the Bible, when you think about the Bible and writing the Bible, like we're going to put some major stuff in the Bible, why in the world would God make sure this is included? Just the story about a prophet and a widow who has no food. Why this? I would tell you because there is a parallel, and you need to pay attention to it. I would tell you as you read this story that Elijah could represent to you and I, God. And you and I should uh, resonate with who the widow is. Let me help you resonate with what the widow's wrestling with. Are you afraid you won't have enough? She is. And most of us have been here. Most of us, most of us do not become greedy people because we hate other people. Most of us are aware of starvation and disease and problems around the world. And we don't look at it and say, that's just stupid. Most of us are afraid that if we give to that, if we invest in that, if we sacrifice towards that, we won't have enough. At least those are most of the conversations I have. Are you afraid that if you're generous to God... That you won't have enough. If you're willing to be super honest, and many of us say, yeah, I'm afraid I won't have enough. That's what the widow's feeling. That's why she said, hey, (laughs) I can get you some water, but if I give you bread, if I make some bread for you, that means that my son and I don't even have a last meal. I hope you didn't miss that part. Where she said she's gathering sticks to make a last meal so that she and her son, I mean, she's already experienced grief. You're aware of that. She's a widow. And now she's going to make a last meal, not a glorious last meal. I mean, you and I go have a last meal? Isn't we good? She's like, I'm going to make a little bit of bread, and we're just going to eat it, and then we're going to die. And I've been trying to warn you that this story gets highly offensive. I think it's time to show you why. Here we go. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make me a little bread, make a little bread for me first. If you and I uh, aren't fully honest with ourselves, we're going to realize, oh yeah, that's cool. No, it's not. But make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. If you're not reading this correctly, let me help you understand that he's saying, hey, I hear what you're saying. You're going to make your last meal to feed to you and your son, and then you're going to go off and starve to death. Um, <clears throat> I still want you to make my meal. And if there's leftovers, you can have that. Are you offended yet? <laughs> In fact, let me draw your attention to make a little bread for me first. I wanted to make sure we didn't just read this verse and be like, yeah, that's normal. No, it's not. Not normal to you and I. Not normal to you and I in America, specifically in North America. This is not normal to us. Christians all over the globe don't wrestle with this. But we do. In the land of plenty, we Wrestle with this. If you don't understand what he's doing, he's actually not being rude. I know at first you're like, it sounds pretty rude. He's not being rude. See, from the beginning of time, there's been a principle set in place. It was before the law, during the law, and after the law. And it had to do with what you do first. First. What you do with your money first, what you do with your possessions first has everything to do with where your heart is. That's why someone was like, oh, I know what I do first with my money. I pay the mortgage company or the electrical bill. That's not what people have been doing forever, if you didn't know that. Uh, there's been a what's called the first fruit sacrifice. Let me show you by definition to help... Uh, First fruit sacrifice, giving God the first part of our income. If you did not know this about history, this has been a principle in place since the very beginning of time. You can literally go back to the first book of the Bible and find this all over the place. Giving God the first part of our income. This was the protection mechanism. This was how to be on guard against greed, See, you and I wrestle with this, at least I do, where we, we're like, how, how, do, how do I not be greedy? I don't, I want, what's my plan? Is God said, I'll give you a plan. And the plan is, is you take the first of everything you bring in and you return it to God. You're like, But he doesn't need it. Oh, I thought we already addressed that. I know he doesn't need it. And yeah, he could take it. And yeah, he gave it to you. But sacrifice builds trust. And he wants you to trust him so we built the principle in that what we do with the first of our money is so significant in fact let me let me give you some more history for those of you who love history i'll just give you some more so how did people apply this throughout time i'll give you one example called the outer 10% this is really cool so a society would run itself this way mostly they would raise crops okay that's how they would survive make money have food all that they would raise crops i grew up in indiana where what we visually could look at was corn. That's it. We would be like, hey, it's pretty outside. Meaning, hey, look at the corn. That's all we had. I grew up around this where almost everyone I knew or lived around is that's what people did, is, is they grew crops. Well, back then that was pretty much what they did is they crops, and so they would grow up. But here's what's cool: when, when it was time to harvest the crops, here's what they would do. You and I would typically show up and from the outer part begin to harvest it from the outside in. They didn't do that. They would step into the field, into the crops, and they would leave the outer 10% untouched. And they would harvest the inside part. So if you're picturing right now a circle or a square, you got it. And the outer 10% is just left there. And you're like, so it's just wasted. No, here's what would happen. The local folks, widows, orphans, folks who couldn't work for themselves, would be invited to come harvest the outer 10% for themselves so that they would have their basic necessities. It wasn't a ton, but it was enough for them to survive. How beautiful of a society is that where you and I would not just think about our needs and our retirements, but where you and I would lean in and say there are people who can't pick themselves up and so we are going to help them get picked up. And that was the society principle, the outer 10%. So I'm going to ask you something, don't answer it out loud, but I want you to process it. Do you currently live by that principle where you give the outer 10% to where it needs to go? If you don't, I would tell you, you're at risk of being greedy. So watch what happens. It's pretty cool. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I mean, after she's like, I, uh, I, can't, I, can't, I can't give you this because then we're going to die. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your container's Until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. Many of us would like to see that miracle happen in our own lives. What if I could tell you that God has placed into life principles that if you will follow them, watch, There was always enough. I want that for me. I want that for my kids. I want that for you. I want that for any human being that has ever lived. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Always enough. If you've ever been affected by the fear of not having enough, God has a plan, but it's going to require generosity. Do you you notice that, you ever think about the negative? I have a tendency sometimes to go there. What if if the widow had said no? Uh, Elijah would have died. And she and her son would have died. I would tell you physically in this story, but in life in general, watch, watch. Generosity gives life. Our world lacks life. Our our world is full of people who are greedy. It's full of organizations. It's full of churches. It's it's full of cities. It's full of places that are so greedy. And I know most of us are, are, are disgusted by it, offended by it. It's easy for us to look at other people's lives and say, I can't believe you aren't generous with this. You don't do that. I'm telling you, every one of us is called to generosity because it gives life. Jesus himself spoke about this enough because he knew the power of generosity. In fact, we as a church have it as one of our core values. If you didn't know this, we have three core values. Why? Because we'd forget the fourth one if we had one. That's how that works. So we have three. Three that we grabbed out of the story of the prodigal son. One is love, unconditional love. You're like, I like that one. Unconditional love, it's great. And irrational generosity is one of our core values, an unwavering mission. Those are the three. And I would tell you, like, oh, okay. are those our core values because we've got them mastered? No. I think we're pretty good at loving people, I think we're a welcoming church for anyone and everyone. One of our core values is generosity, not because we've mastered it, but because we want to be good at it, and we do not want to be a greedy bunch of people. And i got to tell you, I did something. I've prayed about this quite a bit, but as I was writing this message, knowing that one of our core values is irrational generosity, I wondered I wonder how generous we are as a church, right? And there's rumors in our area that Fountain Springs Church is incredibly generous. I wanted to know if they were true. So I asked some of the folks on our team to look into the numbers. I don't mess with the numbers. You should be happy about that. I don't mess with those. And here was the information returned to me. There are about 6,000 people that call Fountain Springs Church their church. They don't all come in one weekend, don't worry. But there are 6,000 people plus that call Fountain Springs Church their church. Based on those numbers, two-thirds of Fountain Springers give zero dollars to the church. If you want to know what classifies that, the one-third that, that sacrifices to God. That includes my five-year-old, my nine-year-old, and my 14-year-old. I really debated showing this to you because I'm not trying to shame you. And the mental picture I got was I think straight from God God was like, do you want your doctor to lie to you? Mm-mm. Most of us would believe a good doctor will tell you your blood pressure is not healthy. And I'll tell you as pastor of this church, our generosity blood pressure is not healthy. Zero dollars communicate something. Something. I'm not talking about how much, other than $0 says something. So what would happen if you and I gave to the church, gave to God, sacrificed to God? What would happen? Well, because I hate negative conversations. I mean, I'll have them, but I don't thoroughly enjoy them. I was like, what would happen if you and I gave on a regular basis, returned to God? What if you and I became a group of people where we actually lived by the outer 10%? I'll show you. We as a church, Spring Church, would take a million dollars and invest it in local and global needs. Now if you're like, oh that would be, is that like over like, like a 10 year, 20 year plan? That would be every year. Every single year. This church would look at the needs locally and then we would go nationally and globally. And we could invest at least a million dollars we would eliminate all of our debt in 18 months. Now some people are like, well that's not very sexy. I mean debt, I'm not motivated. Well I would tell you, uh, we currently have debt on our facilities. If we eliminate that, that means more can go to that. And then we would also launch a new Fountain Springs Church location every single year until Jesus came back. That would be how we would land that. Every single year. Um, uh, I, I, mean, you, I don't, you, well, you don't read the emails or get the phone calls. We regularly get emails and phone calls of folks like, hey, and they're from a, maybe a, a smaller rural town or, or, or not, and they're like, we, we don't have a church where anyone and everyone's welcome. It does not even exist here. Do you know that you and I have the capacity? That if we would just honor our relationship with God and give to him, do you understand that you and I could eliminate the debt, invest into poverty in this whole world, and put a location wherever it's needed? That's just, that's only if you and I would do what God says I want you to do. That's not like even above and beyond. But many of us are like, but David, I don't have enough to do that. That's how the widow felt. And on paper, she didn't have enough. Do you understand how significant the sacrifices that she made? She basically gave her last meal, not just for herself, but her son and said, here you go. But she beat greed. And she brought life. So if if you haven't caught what I'm trying to show you, let me show it to you in a different way. I think this helps. Greed, people who are greedy believe this, I am my provider. They function out of that, that their well-being is up to them. A Christian, and yeah, I did this on purpose, a Christian says God is my provider. I'm okay with a few folks not being happy about me talking about money because I would not be okay talking with God someday and He go, Why didn't you tell Him? The Bible says that the root of so many kinds of evil is the love of money. And if you want a definition of greed, love of money. So uh, what's interesting about God is that he dared us to take him up on this. He dared us. If you don't believe me, I'll show you. It's a, it's a dare in the Bible. Bring all the tithes. If you're like, tithe. That's 10% of your income. That's the, That word literally means 10%. That's the definition of the word. Bring 10% of your income into the storehouse so there will be enough food. Oh, there's that word again, enough. Enough food in my temple. I mean, hopefully you're seeing this is the church. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. (laughs) Try it. That's God for I dare you. Try it. Put me to the test. God's dared you. God has actually put in the Holy Scriptures a dare. You and I are not allowed to test God on anything else. Do you aware of this? There's other verses like don't you dare test God. But on money, on the love of money, you and I are supposed to test him. So I'm going to help. We as a church are going to help. It's called the three-month tithe challenge. For the next three months, if you would be willing to commit to returning to God a tithe, you will probably say, David, I don't have enough. I understand that feeling. But for three months, to test God, to see if what He says is true, if He will open the the gates of heaven. If you'll open up heaven, test them. So here's the deal. The back of the seats, those little container things are these. I would like for everyone to get one in your hands. Whether you're going to do this or not, I still want you to hold it. I mean, come on. It's there in the seats. At least play my game. But I want everyone who can and is willing to listen. I want you to get this card. And here's what this card is. It's very simple because some of you are already doing this. By the way, I wouldn't dare preach on this if Katie and I weren't already doing this. Pastors are not exempt <laughs> from the truths and principles of God. So Katie and I do I'm going to dare you. God's already dared you to fill this out and to commit to three months of sacrificial living. Some of you might have to adjust how you live, you might have to budget differently, and you might be like, I don't have enough, I understand. But here's what I want you to do, is I want you to fill this out, and in the lobby there's a box where you just drop it. There'll be people dropping in going, yep, I, I already do this, and there'll some like, this is the first time I'm doing this, I'm scared out of my mind, good, because that's what it's like following God, is there's fear a bit involved, because faith is taking you there. So, let me pray for you. I pray that you're brave enough, but you need to know this before we pray. I am accountable to God for what the church does with the sacrifices you and I bring into this church. And you better believe I hold that with faith and caution. But our world needs to know who Jesus is. And you just heard the plan on how that starts out. Let me pray for you, God. I pray for those right now who are wrestling with being sacrificial. Lord, I pray that you would give them a, a, a courage, a courage that your words mean something. Your words are true. Your words are faithful. That you love us, God. Would you help those who who are willing to be brave? God, would you would you help us in the next few months? Lord, I pray that for those who will give to you, that you would bless them. Just just like you promised that you would bless them, that you would take care of them, that their needs would be met. And Lord, I pray for the folks who don't know who you are yet, who don't have their basic needs, and your plan is for Fountain Springs Church to help. God, help us, help them. I pray for us as a church, God. Help us to be a generous group of people. We pray this in Jesus' name.